32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. One day we'll get it. Uh, we usually do take a country, county, dive into an issue relevant to that county and see where in the world it brings us. God, it feels like so long since we've done a county. I look forward no, to but- they'll be coming back soon that's in phase five I believe we start doing counties again Um, but that approach was a little bit BC these days we look at issues or themes in a rapidly changing pandemic impacted country and give them a global context this week as police brutality against black Americans prompts wide scale peaceful protests in the US and a landmark Black Lives Matter protest in Dublin uh, opened up the space for people to talk, for people of colour in Ireland to discuss their experiences of racism as well. We're talking about how Ireland is racist and how we need to deal with that. Thank you to all of our new uh, supporters on Patreon. Also, it's the beginning of a new month, kind of June. And um, what sometimes happens is that because of people's expiry dates on their cards or whatever, or the way you know, our financial lives are administrated administrated month to month. Uh, People can often accidentally fall off the Patreon support subscription model, blah, without realizing it. So if you are a Patreon supporter, uh, have a look and make sure that you're still um, in the mix, uh, that you're still supporting us on Patreon. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, now is a great time to uh, sign up. Our Sunday Soothe is ongoing. Uh, It will be soothing you again on Sunday. And uh, on Monday as well, we launch our second treasure hunt. The first one was amazing. I like we sent everyone out a tote who entered um, and the winner was a split decision thing. I almost like I wanted to give it to so many people. So there were because there were so many brilliant entries. We may have to make it harder because a lot of people got all of the um, photos, all of the tasks straight away. When I when we were like, leaf shaped like Ireland, I was like, as if anyone's going to get that. But the interpretations and the actual results of leaf shaped like Ireland, I was like, oh my God, you people are good. Yeah, incredible. lots of sycamore. Um, before we get into the episode proper, how are you feeling, Andrea? <laughs> Um, oh God, I am, I've been overwhelmed for weeks now at this stage. I've been moving for weeks. Moving stage is coming to an end. I am taking Xanax, which I never take apart from the first thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely over this week and it's been very difficult to come out of my moving bubble and still be cognizant and aware and learning from what's going on. So it's, yeah, it's been a lot, but like, boohoo, I'm, I'm, I'm moving house, Grant. Moving is always a nightmare. I'm sorry you have to go through that. Um, I, <coughs> Let's be I'm honest, not, it's not the worst hardship. It's just no. a pain in the ass. Um, yeah. But Grant, how are you, Anna? I'm actually fine. Just grand, just getting on with it. Trying to find time to be creative and to keep it loose. And that's about it. Um, I don't really have much to say in that department. So let's just go straight to... It's kind of like a an overwhelming, very active time, but also a very meh 
like we're in, it's like the hokey cokey. We've got one leg in and one leg out of mm. life. Um, I saw Simone George uh, tweet that she felt like she was in the puberty phase of lockdown where she hates everyone and is just like slamming doors and wants to go for sneaky smokes. I think a lot of people will identify with that. Okay, um, so let's go to the state of the nation. So um, phase two of Ireland's lockdown exit, transition, whatever you want to call it, uh, begins on Monday. Uh, Some of the goalposts have been moved on that. For example, uh, there was the 20k rule, uh, but people will now be allowed to travel anywhere in in their county uh, from Monday. Um, There seems to me, maybe this is just my own progression, but there seems to be this kind of tension between like retaining lockdown lessons and the rush to reboot capitalism. Um, I don't know, I guess for me, like I'm seeing lots of people on social media talking about like where they're booking their holidays and, you know, the shops that they want to reopen and stuff. Um, That's definitely not the mode that I'm in. And I think it would be useful if a lot of people who maybe haven't experienced uh, some of the more severe consequences of the pandemic, which include losing loved ones. Um, it includes losing job jobs or being really put in a very financially precarious position to maybe practice some self-awareness around their own experiences of, you know, exiting lockdown joy versus the fact that people are coping with a lot of trauma, loss, financial difficulties um, and uncertainty around their future work. So... That's just kind of what I'm feeling at the moment. Yeah, I feel like a I'm moving house, so I'm like the thoughts of ever buying one single item more to add to my life is a nightmare. So minimalism on Netflix, please watch; it's a very good documentary. Um, but also, it feels like it. I f- it definitely feels like from what I can see that the the prestige of things has gone a lot of the way. Um, and even in like my trap world for sure. So yeah, I think it, the lessons are still coming through, but people just want to grab back some normality of going to work and making money again if they haven't mm. been. Which, um, yeah. also, also in the state of the nation, uh, Leo Varadkar was uh, back in his old form, not old form, just continuous uh, form of his very strange worldview sometimes. A um, couple of, uh, well, I have written here bizarre marks in the door from Leo, but are they bizarre when they're very consistent with his politics? Um, one being on direct provision, how he's repeating this mantra of how it's a service off offered by the state and it's not compulsory um, and not, you know, not no equivalent to racism in America. Yeah, I, I look, um, the denial, the kind of tacit denial of the hardship, cruelty, inhumanity and racism of direct provision within those statements is um, very callous, uh, kind of gaslighting again. And you know, just again, brings home, you know, this isn't Leo, you know, putting his foot in it again. These are his politics, right? Like he he just keeps reiterating his politics and they're often framed as like a mistake. Um, But this is just who he is. Tell you who they are. Yeah. Uh, He also took a really, um, you know, 
low blow. I don't even know if you can call it that. There's this bizarre, no, not bizarre, <laughs> uh, very um, problematic uh, uh, swipe at Richard Boyd Barrett when he was talking about um, equating uh, left-wing politics to right-wing politics, equating far-left politics to far-right politics, saying that the type of things that Richard Boyd Barrett talks about with regards to um, the impact of quote-unquote elites in Ireland on other people who are not as privileged is similar to how far-right people in America uh, discuss their own politics. Um, This is a huge problem with the Taoiseach and it's going to become even more amplified if he remains in that position in the next government because um, Leo Varadkar talks a lot about left-wing politics stoking division when it is in fact uh, his kind of politics that uh, creates division. We obviously, even though it's far away now in the midst of time, uh, ha- the rhetoric, the the messaging and the tone of Fine Gael's, um general election campaign was extraordinarily divisive. Every time Leo says something like this, there's a lot of projection going on Um uh, people, when people were kind of tweeting about his remarks this week, I kind of was reminding a, people about uh, a you know bright idea that he had in in two thousand and seven, um, back when he was just a simple TD, uh, uh, saying that asking whether prisoners could be charged f- for their stay in jail, whether they could pay towards that. Um, these kinds of very fringe, super right wing. Uh, ideas, uh, the kind of thing um, that you'd see some like radical right winger in, in, in America spoof about over talk radio or in some random Senate somewhere, um, are a patchwork that makes up a lot of his politics. I do worry that when we're coming into a phase in Irish society where there are going to be extraordinary economic challenges, where a lot of people run the risk of being left behind. Uh, where there will where there will be divisions um, between people who manage to kind of cruise through lockdown financially by virtue of the sector that they work in or familial wealth or the privilege in general versus other people who are really struggling. You know, the last thing that we need is a leader who uh, is pitting people against each other and cre- creating these divisions. So, in my opinion, it's certainly not. Uh, the likes of Richard Boyd Barrett or People Before Profit or other left-wing parties who are doing that uh, because what a lot of those people are asking for is equality, equity, justice in around public health, public housing um, and public supports for people who are less fortunate. Um, so s- the idea that... Um, somebody like Richard Boyd Barrett uh, is equivalent to a far-right actor in the US is absolutely ridiculous. Um, Other things that are happening, so there's lots of discussion around the COVID pay. I know a lot of people listening um, will be on the COVID pay, that $3.50 a week. Um, And so what they're saying now is that basically people who were part-time before the pandemic um, who were earning, I think, less than 200 euro a week will be somehow put on the 203 euro a week dole and that people who are full time uh, will be able to keep 
the 350 pay uh, until the end of August, at least. Um, I think there's a lot of questions around the administration of this. Like, obviously, on the front end, when this came in, like, there wasn't means testing, obviously, for, you know, which was good. And people, you know, who were, who were like straight away in financial difficulty, like it was just all signed off on to get the 350. I wonder what the difficulties are that will emerge in terms of trying to kind of retrospectively administer that. There are thousands and thousands of people coming off that uh, pay themselves as they go back to work. Um, so it, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting one to kind of see how they're going to administer that. I know a lot of people are worried about, um, getting kind of switched back down to the 203 euro a week. Uh, the 350 a week is a, is a lifeline for a lot of people. It's keeping people going. It's allowing people to kind of pay their rent and buy food and stuff like that. Um, so we'll, I guess we'll just kind of keep an eye on that. Anything to add, Andrea? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay, perfect. Okay. Now it is time for our weekly Corona Correction. The Corona Correction this week orientates around uh, the Phoenix Park. Um, so you may have been paying attention to um, a lot of the discourse around the Phoenix Park with regards to how it was flourishing without traffic and then the concerns that people had around the traffic returning, the impact on wildlife, on the general atmosphere, on uh, like people's ability to physically distance and how such a huge um, number of people are using the park in ways that they kind of weren't before uh, lockdown. Uh, once again, highlighting the real kind of need for quality uh, public space in the capital of which the Phoenix Park is. One of the people who was campaigning on that was uh, Michael Pigeon love his name. He's a Green Party councillor. And basically the OPW was scheduled to reopen traffic in, you know, in all gates of the Phoenix Park. And now that they've reversed that decision and they've basically decided to just keep the uh, traffic filtering through only uh, Parkgate Street and the Castlenock Gate, I think. So that's just Chesterfield Avenue, the main kind of uh, road through the Phoenix Park. So that's a really, really good development and hopefully... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully that will continue. Um, and uh, you had a crown correction in here, Andrea, about bike lanes. I did. Uh, there are a lot of protected bicycle lanes popping up around the city. So these are very Dublin folks. That's Paris, sorry. Um, but the b- bicycle lanes have uh, protections of bollards so that you cannot be knocked over when you're on a bike, which is a, a very good crown correction. And Dublin City Council are definitely utilising this time to do things that may have been on the long finger or may have been um, campaigned against for a while. So it is really nice to see these things happening during such a shit time. Excellent. And now the main topic of our podcast, Ireland is racist. Deal with it. So the main part of our discussion today is in and around uh, how Ireland is racist and how to be anti-racist and the complexities that this brings up. Uh, One of which from the outset is two white people, myself and Andrea, discussing this. We had a long discussion about how this episode should go. 
we want to create a discussion that's obviously informed by um, the voices of who this issue impacts the most, but also uh, to put the onus on white people to do the work themselves. Um, and so I keep thinking about like this, uh, you, know, you don't want to draw parallels between um, certain things like gender and, and sexuality and race, but I often think about a mo- moment that frequently occurs at discussions, let's say public discussions or meetings around um let's take uh, gender equality, feminism, women's rights. And oftentimes somebody gets up in the Q&A and goes, um, you know, where are all the men? Like, why aren't the men uh, in this room? And my response to that is often, well, you know, why aren't the men organizing their own talks about, you know, what they can do uh, to, you know, like, fix gender equality and equity and stuff like that. And so I think that there is a massive space for white people to get off their asses and discuss race, discuss their whiteness and discuss how white people have the power to um, do anti-racist work and stop putting the onus on people of colour, which even as a term collapses so many different identities uh to 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 basically do the work themselves and talk to each other uh as a white person myself talk to other white people about our whiteness about our race which we are often not conscious of at all because we view it as a default which is in and of itself is a racist point of view um so that's how we're entering the conversation uh, we want to talk and later we will be talking about the importance of the Black Lives Matter protests. On Monday, I was at it. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Amanda Ade at the Boxed Out podcast about the impact of that protest. For me, it was ex- an extraordinarily um, powerful moment of uh, visibility, of solidarity. Uh, I felt that it was a game changing moment Um for discussions around race and racism and racial injustice and racial justice in this country. I felt that it was the first uh, large-scale youth mobilization of protest in the pandemic uh, transitionary period. I think that it's an indication that youth protest will be fundamental to how this country is going to progress um, as we enter into uh, serious economic difficulties, which exacerbate uh, social division in multiple ways. Um, so in, in talking about this, there's a, you know, myself and Andrea are, are leading this conversation between us on this episode on purpose and very consciously because frequently discussions around racism are positioned by white people adopting this kind of helpless position uh, you know, tell us what to do when we as white people obviously have the power and privilege to be the ones to make the difference. Racism is a white problem that impacts people of colour. Uh, it is a pathology of whiteness um, with consequences for people who just do not benefit from the structures and systems that reward, enable and benefit whiteness. Uh, I know for me, certainly over the years, having grown up in a country where people of colour were largely absent or very uh rare in my education, for example, and in the places that I worked oftentimes. Um, And so in unpacking the ease with which I personally move through the world as a white person and benefit from white privilege, I have tried 
as I'm sure loads of people have, to educate myself, to um, inform myself, uh, to read, to watch, to listen. And uh, I think because Irish people, um, which is kind of mostly white Irish people, have this it'll be grand, uh, you know, kind of mentality uh, we don't necessarily engage with things that make us uncomfortable. I think that a lot of white Irish people and Irish people generally like to um, make kind of spaces and conversations and discussions that orientate around putting everyone at ease, you know, and that we are very kind of bad at confronting discomfort and awkwardness. So we want to kind of lean into that. Uh, discomfort. Um, and I kind of feel that it's one of those things where generalizing can sometimes be useful because I think white people often see ourselves as individuals uh, with, you know, our own unique uh, perspectives and that we couldn't possibly be like individually race or whatever. Yes, generalize other people and we rarely view ourselves as a homogenous group. Um, what do you think about that, Andrea? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Can we just give me the card this week of having no brain? Okay, that's totally fine. You're you're moving house. It's it's a stressful time. That's okay. I, well, I guess what I would say is that, and this is making it personal again. I kind of I look to other people. Uh, and more educated people to learn from all the time. And I kind of look at where my role is in that and what my skills are and taking that on. And that like the listening part is so important as a mm. white person and that um, it's very, it is so easy to cast it off as not your problem. And that because it's not your problem, you're not part of the solution. And I think that what's been happening over the last week is that the solutionizing has mobilized into um, different um, sections of society and out of just uh, people of color's issue and into all of our issue and that we like this has been going up like we we know we have racism in Ireland we know we have direct provision we know we have um, race like on street racism but it's seeing the the, we're being educated now more, not we're being educated, hopefully we're making a decision to educate ourselves more on the systemic stuff like with, with like I know the stuff that's been going around online of how it's people's um, oppression is coming from a far, far historical perspective rather than just arriving in and having people shedding obscenities on the street. So yeah, mm. I think there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of shouldering going on and solidarity coming through. Yeah. I think it's important as well to contextualise the Irish experience. Um, racism is a global issue and it has unique characteristics with regards to jurisdictions due to um, the makeup of those countries in terms of population, um, histories of various oppressions, demographics, uh, cultures, um colonialism and all of the rest of that. And I think what's interesting about Ireland is 
we are a kind of an unusual country in some ways with regards to immigration in that most of our immigration narrative has been about the outward emigration of Irish people to uh, primarily the United States and then obviously Australia and all across Europe and so on. And that has an interesting um, impact on our psychology. And I think where we're at now um, with um, a new generation of Afro-Irish people, of Irish people who are black, of people of colour who maybe came to Ireland when they were very young and have grown up in Irish um, society, that we are quite uh, unique in many ways in a European context, let's, let's say. One of the things that I think is interesting is how so like our two big kind of cultural pulls external to Ireland are America and the UK. So we're kind of often referenced and are stuck between two countries that have um, a lot of racism as well that are also unique to their own histories and societies. I feel what happened in Ireland um, is that because our inward immigration um, kind of only happened in, you know, noticeable ways in the kind of mid to late 90s. Uh, There was a general feeling of like, you know, do nothing and it'll be grand. So, you know, that kind of feeds into a lack of research, lack of public education and awareness, a lack of integration policies, um, which... Uh, really impact the conversation because you're missing out this massive public education piece. And then, as I say, you have this new generation of young people of colour and young black leaders in our community. Uh, uh, and the like. what's really important for me is the visibility of artists um, who are not white, black Irish artists, black artists in Ireland, people of colour in Ireland making art, really super creative people who now form what is essentially the backbone of contemporary Irish popular culture. Um, And so I think that visibility piece is like very, very dominant now and massively healthy, obviously, and I think is quite instructive in making us under oh, white Irish people understand uh, that the groundwork and the uh, that is being done around visibility is is being done by creative and artistic young people. Does that make sense? I mean, I think like for some, um, the, the, the absence of kind of widely publicised integration policies, let's say from a state or governmental level throughout all of this has kind of allowed us as white Irish people to sidestep, all that us, you know, there's me again, allowed white Irish people to kind of sidestep the negative attention that um, integration policies can bring. So there's often this like very racist backlash to even the fact of like pointing out that a society is becoming increasingly diverse when it was, you know, initially very kind of monocultural or, or very white. And white people... Uh, can be very, very defensive and reactionary and kind of consistently refuse to collectively take responsibility for the structures they benefit from. Um, and that pointing out that that's even a thing can cause uproar. Um, but I do think that refusing to tackle racism from the outset uh, in Ireland and historically has created 
um, a false sense of security um, and a complete myth in Ireland that we're, you know, not talking about racism and therefore it doesn't exist. This kind of it'll be grand laissez-faire attitude towards integration in Ireland in some ways left it up to the schoolyard. You know, this is the cornerstone of integration in Ireland that once diversity was evident at a school level, biases will magically disappear and then we live in some unproblematic diverse country. Now, it is a dream to think that, you know, uh, when integration um, and like a multicultural lens is put over the education system that everybody will kind of come through and be like magically accepting of everyone. But unless you're actually doing the work at every stage of that, you're creating a massive space for racism to occur where there is no anti-racist work happening uh, from white people in their communities themselves. Like where was the inclusion peace at any stage in the 90s and early 2000s? Where was the elevation of black voices, for example? Where was the representation? Where was the drive for equity and justice? What we had instead was, you know, basically a racist citizenship referendum, uh, which, you know, uh, held a lot of very toxic conversations around race and kind of bar smattering of people in public life who don't look like, you know, the classic white Irish person with red hair or whatever, that kind of visibility hasn't happened until recently. And as I say, it's kind of very much happened in the in the artistic space. Um, I guess a key uh, part difference maybe or, or part in Ireland that, that runs counter to that uh, are the links between um, the African-American civil rights movement and the Republican movement in the North. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people post like Bernadette Devlin's um, famous moment where she gave the key of the city of New York to the Black Panthers. Um, I've kind of often cited this documentary um, called The Black and the Green about um, visits that uh, African-American civil rights activists made to Belfast in uh, the early 80s as well. So so that exists there as well. Um, yet at the same time, there are frequent stories in media about racist attacks in Ireland but they're often positioned as kind of individual moments rather than what they actually are, which is a systemic issue. And I, so I think because of all this kind of stuff, like we have these conversations that we hear from American media about like systemic racism or subtle racism, obviously no racism is subtle or, you know, um, diversity training and biases and how the forces of racism are so embedded that they act in particular ways. In some ways, I feel like Ireland is so far beyond or so is 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 so fundamentally um racist at a base level that we haven't even got to the point where we can have conversations about the sophisticated levers of racism because we're still dealing with the very base blatant and ignorant level of racism so although we obviously do have structural and systemic racism Many people of colour in Ireland are still subjected to old-fashioned racism, um, which is contemporary, including wide-scale street-level harassment and abuse. Um, and I think when you speak to journalists who do a lot of work around issues of, um, let's say, okay, direct provision is a very obvious one here because it's a racist system that disproportionately impacts on people of colour. But even if you look at um, somebody like Sarah Pollock's work in the Irish Times, her New to the Parish series, 
about um, new Irish, new immigrants to Ireland, like she often receives, and those articles often receive a barrage of racist abuse online, for example. So anybody who thinks that even at a small level, acts of visibility or truth telling or telling people's stories and is somehow like... Yeah, exactly. The little like, oh, we're just all totally grand. We're so sound and Irish. Like, just look at what those kind of fucking Pandora's box, the very basic act of visibility can can cause, for example, just goes to show the level of animosity. Um, there is a huge lack of representation in media, which is an extraordinary problem because who's telling people's stories? What kind of angles are they telling them from? Who are we hearing, seeing, listening to? A huge lack of representation in politics, in public life. Um, it gives the impression of invisibility, of non-existence of people of colour. And now uh, pushing for your uh, for your story. If you have no one in politics or public life, that's why there's no integration because it's not top of mind for those people. Yeah. Um, integration policies for sure and I think this is changing um, like particularly in the arts again I would say I think that that it's changing hugely across like film, theatre, music in particular when we look at the unbelievable um, creativity that's emerging from music in Ireland a lot of people talk about the boom in Irish hip hop that's actually absolutely one part of it but it's it's across kind of all music genres um so yeah i mean i think that ultimately like in ireland racism and exclusion of black voices and of people of color you know it often goes unpunished which i would imagine is another kind of form of gaslighting we've seen in recent days how hot press and Stuart clark apologized for their piece on versatile which failed to interrogate uh, racism in some of their lyrics and in their behavior um, we've seen Irish newspapers write like editorials about racial justice and, and anti-racism sentiments, but those uh, media outlets are not representative in terms of the makeup of their staff and contributors when it comes to actually platforming um, those voices and also platforming voices um, of people of colour when they're not, when we're not just talking about race, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I know I've, again, not making correlations between, you know, race and sexuality, but I know myself and my own experience, um, the frustration that I feel oftentimes when I'm invited to speak on something and uh, it's only about like gayness or gender or something like that. Why aren't there people of colour in, uh, you know, reporting on the economy, on politics, on, on you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So again, and of course, we're falling into this trap in this podcast as well, where we have um, a young person of colour in Ireland discussing this issue, but we're trying to do it in a way that is uh, moving beyond, I suppose, those kind of tropes. Um, so yeah, I think that like, the other part of it is our own constructs of Irish identity that we were oppressed, so we can't oppress people. That we were colonised, so we know what it's like, you know, <laughs> to be marginalised. And there's, you know, a bunch of stuff going on with that. Um, obviously, we are 
like mad insecure and we just want to be liked and loved more than anything. And like, do you love us? Do you love us? Do you like it here? Do you like it here? Are we as welcoming as everyone says we are? Are Irish crowds the best in the world? La la la. Um, and that we we tend to platform as Irish people that narrative over anything else. So Irish fragility is real and it is white. And at the same time, we kind of celebrate outsiders culturally. Um, and I mean outsiders of all kinds, people who do not fit the mould, like our favourite ever football manager was Jack Charlton, you know, and, and we often think of ourselves as like collectively Irish, yet people who come to the fore culturally tend to um, go against what our cultural norms are, you know. Sinead O'Connor ripping up a fucking picture of the Pope when we're uh, we were at the time hyper Catholic. Um, you know, one of our greatest rock stars ever being a man of color, Phil Linnet. Uh, all of all of that kind of stuff. It gives us a warped sense, I think, that we're very accepting of everyone. Yet today, as this issue um, is coming to the fore in a positive sense in terms of visibility around these protests um, that so many young Irish people are invested in. We have a small but very disturbing rise in anti-immigrant sentiment from far-right idiots, conspiracy theorists, racist pseudo-nationalists. You only have to look at the barrage of bullshit that orientates online uh, that is racist around that. Um, But Ireland has shown in recent years that people power, empathy, collective action, grassroots campaigning, all of these things build better, more inclusive, more caring society. We are in a brilliant position to keep that work going and build a country that is devoid of hate. In the aftermath of um, the Black Lives Matter protests in Dublin on Monday, there's another protest on Saturday in Dublin and there's plenty of people using their power online. Uh, There's been an awful lot of discourse uh, online with people posting some very educative stuff, lots of people making missteps, discussions around this black square post thing. Um, So there's also, and I think this is especially pertinent because we're still in lockdown, although we are emerging phase by phase, about how a lot of people are like at home, maybe on their own or whatever. And a lot of stuff is being filtered in the digital sphere. How do you feel about that aspect of things, Andre? Because obviously you are more connected to social media than I am as somebody who uh, I think it was last week I decided to do my first ever Instagram story but just wanted it for two of my friends and so posted this story being like this is just for you guys blah 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 but then posted publicly Um, (laughs) that's my level of social media literacy so I'm never doing Insta stories again that's a bit of a sidebar but anyway no my point is, is that you are more over the kind of popular social media space than I am yeah, we all use social media. And I think uh, what has unfolded over the last few days is how people are campaigning and the rightness and wrongness of what of how people are sharing their messages. And I think it's like, to me, like, it, I obviously don't want to misstep in anything I'm saying, because I'm saying this as a white person. So I am cognizant of that, of listening to how what the messaging is and how to best support the people who are 
um, in this. And But I suppose some of the stuff I'd seen online of people calling people out for what they were doing or checking up to make sure they've posted or to like, I'll be going around people's profile to make sure they've said something and are using their voice. It just was like, you can't, you're you're policing people's uh, way of campaigning. And I think one thing I learned from repeal from the outset, and the very reason we set up Unreal Issues was because realizing that people communicate in different ways and that each of those voices is a valid voice and that not everyone is going to go and read the um the reading lists that are being suge- suggested. I know, for example, my sister, she is she believes herself to be anti-racist. She's never going to read those books in a million years. She is educated through social media, through watching stories and what people are sharing. So saying go off and read is not always the solution. And if Michelle is the type of person who is going to show her solid, she wants to show solidarity and be there. And if that is by posting a black square that you see people of color posting and that is taking off and then was uh, then there was the call out of that's not the right way to do it take that down because it's stopping the messaging from the hashtag that's used now she's taking a step back and she's like I'm just not saying anything and I think there's some there's definitely a com- not even a conversation to be had it's like how do we make sure that every type of person and how the different types of ways people communicate are included in that. And obviously as a white person, boohoo, she doesn't know, like she's trying to help and maybe it wasn't the most helpful, but um, saying something, maybe making a mistake is better than saying nothing. And stuff that's been happening that's been really weird as well is that like uh, journalists are saying that they've been getting emails from people asking them to call out influencers because they aren't, they've used their platform the wrong way. It's like influencers are not public representatives. They have a platform and they're trying to use their platform in the best way they have. Also, you've got, I've heard of influencers who are getting messages going, uh, you're not using your platform enough. Um, who And, it's like, I suppose we've been having the conversation of how um, the difference between activism just online and then using, making sure that offline actions follow. And this, we, my, we've been kind of debating this between ourselves over the last few days, but also like I've been talking to some people and uh, they were saying that they're just never going to be, that, like not everyone is an activist. And sometimes the micro actions that they post might lead to a bigger action of someone seeing it and then becoming an activist in themselves. So each action is an action in itself and not to diminish that because it's not as big as you would do or it's not what how you would act or it's not the platform you would use, that each of these actions is valid and that, if it is, um, I suppose, problematic that to the message, that is understandable. But just because it's not done in the way that the rules say you should be activizing, activism, can I make that a word? Activisming, yeah. activisming, yeah. there. Um, there you go. Is really, I suppose, problematic. And I just think that, like, 
there's so many different types of people who are involved in a movement. There are the people who get angry and who riot. There are the people who protest. There are the people who don't like protesting. And I like for the whole of repeal, I was like, I don't like protesting. And I don't, it's not the way I do my activism. I like to do it through art or I like to do it in different ways. And that doesn't diminish the work that I did. So I think saying that this is the way you protest or this is the way you activism is a, is something that we need to rein in, and also calling people out for how they activism um, by saying you didn't post, you haven't posted enough. Fuck off. Yeah. There's a really great piece by um, Yomi Adagoke, uh in Vogue um, where she talks about the pics or it didn't happen approach to activism. As you know, Andrea, um, for the most part, I hate social media, even though I'm on it. And one of the reasons that it annoys me sometimes is because these maelstroms happen that then overtake the actual broader issue. Um, And at the same time, there is a lot of like juice to be squeezed from this conversation about what is useful or helpful activism online and what isn't. Um, Some people like aren't doing anything at all because they genuinely don't give a shit. And some people may be doing things in a particular way because uh, that's where they're at or they're actually offline thinking and reflecting. Um, And I think that like if people feel uncomfortable or if they're called out on stuff, well, I guess like, like I'm here to feel uncomfortable, you know, in a way, like I want to feel uncomfortable. I want to learn at the same time, like I often go back to um, Sarah Shulman's stuff on when ACT UP was initially established, well, the New York chapters of ACT UP and how she would talk about like people are only ever at where they're at and that like, okay, some people didn't, some people were more comfortable doing like needle exchange on the Lower East Side than they were, you know, getting rested, trying to like, I don't know, smash windows of St. Patrick's Cathedral and Fifth Avenue or something. So there is that space for, there should be space for for everyone. I do think that activism is not a uh, homogenous or singular thing. I also think that people can get caught up in trivial aspects of performative activism um, and focus on the inadequacies or shortcomings of people doing that uh, I'm highly suspicious of uh, performative allyship or non-optical ally- or you know not non-optical allyship just performative allyship um, where and I see it like I think we see it across loads of different issues um, where a lot of people are more concerned with looking like they're doing a particular thing than actually living that thing in their lives I know myself, for example, like I haven't been posting a tremendous amount. Um, Go on. On the performative stuff, I just feel like some activism can start as performative and develop as they get reactions to that and then engage in it and then develop and then become activists. So I think performative is doing something. And I know it's not, it's frustrating to activists who are further down the line, but it's still noise and it's still active. It's still an action, whether it's a crap one, not a crap one, but a less good one. Hmm. 
But um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think that I guess my own frustration often comes down to where is your energy most useful? And if you believe that your energy on an issue is should be spent in um, the kind of pedantic uh, world of uh, perfecting one's messaging on Instagram, let's say, um, and then setting kind of imposed standards about how that should be done and attacking people or pulling people up on not reaching these standards that you've set. For me personally, I'm not, that would not be a space where I would spend my energy with regards to activism. But what you've just described is the opposite of if someone's performing performative activism that you're saying, well, these are my boundaries that I've set for how you should perform and you're not meeting those boundaries and you're kind of calling it out in a, a general sense. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think like I think it's, you know, I, I, I think that the digital sphere uh, is a place where we all live to, to various varying degrees. Um, and I think that for some people, everything happens there. And like how someone's like Instagram account is, is how they actually are. And that it therefore has to encompass this like 360, uh, you know, representation of their, not just representation of their world. It is their, their world for, for, perhaps people projecting that on that or, or somebody really existing in that space a lot. For me, um, I understand that, uh, issues that are, um, that cause an awful lot of emotion for people and that begin to gain traction when they're often neglected and that there can be a perception of people like jumping on an issue, uh, or maybe just com- coming to that issue now and because it's in the discourse in such a major way at the moment, weighing into that issue. Um, I, I, For me personally, I think that um, segmenting one's energy uh, by um, focusing on uh, criticizing people who are at where they're at and maybe potentially on the kind of right path. I'm not sure if that is a useful uh, spend of energy. At the same time, I understand that it can be incredibly irritating if white people in particular are inserting themselves into the activist space in the digital sphere and making a bulls of it <laughs> and, need, and need to be uh, called out on it. Um, I also understand the feeling of reticence that people have where they don't know if they'll like post the right thing or like, you know, make a mistake. Um, I think that we need to like use our voices anyway. And if somebody's like, that's a load of fucking bullshit, you shouldn't have done that question. Maybe why, like, why was what you did not useful? Um, but I think there's a big difference between doing something online that is unuseful and takes away from the issue than 
doing something that's not reaching a particular standard. Um, I'm I'm not really interested in um, imposing standards on people. Like I think if let's say, let's say me for example, like I didn't post the black square thing on Instagram or whatever. Um, I didn't, you know, I'm not on uh, social media all the time, like, you know, constantly posting about racism, for example. I know for me personally that I am trying to do the work offline, um, be that in protesting, be that in educating myself, reading, be that in trying to platform and support uh, people of colour, be that in, you know, writing about direct provision for years or whatever. And I don't know, I, I mean, maybe this is my age showing, but sometimes I think I might have a bit of bias around the digital sphere versus the real life sphere. Uh, certainly loads of people who are really, like white people I'm talking about now, loads of white people who are really like bashing out the tweets and the stories and the posts and all that are doing equivalent work offline. For some, the work is uh, between offline and online completely blurs. Like it's it's the same package. Um, but I do think that people are at where they're at. I often find that when uh, issues that are emotive, that people like is something around racism where people suffer so hugely from it, there are so many frustrations and um, pains and hurt that can coalesce in ways where you find people kind of inserting themselves into their co- the conversation very frustrating and, and it's kind of an end of the tether thing. So I think that it's messy and I think that, um, you know, white people need to uh, do 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 the work that matters. And I also completely understand that for some people, the entry point to that work is replicating other behaviours online that they perceive to be helpful. Like, I get that. I think that in order to um, transform Ireland into not just like a place where, you know, people don't experiencing, experience racism or hate, but a, a utopia that is anti-racist. Um, and I think that we're seeing this in the States as well. Solidarity is so important. And one of the good things about the protests in the States has been the racial and ethnic diversity of the makeup of the crowds. Um, and for me, that says that like white people in particular are taking up this mantle themselves, whether that's in a real way of absolute integrity, whether it's in a performative way, whether it's in a fucking trendy way or some pers- something superficial like that. Um, that is happening. I think that white people need to encourage other white people to get on board um, and naturally as that as this anti-racist work continues, there will be arguments, uh, mistakes, missteps, and some of those will be really fucking annoying um, for people of colour in, in particular uh, to witness the clumsiness of whiteness. And I suppose that clumsiness, that awkwardness, that discomfort, 
that reticence, uh, that compulsion to close off if you're scared of being being made uncomfortable or, or scared of being made a misstep comes from our privilege as well. You know, that we actually have the privilege of closing off the conversation if we're scared of getting attacked. We have the privilege of letting other people get on with it. And it's time that we realise that the inverse of that privilege is the vast amount of power that white people have to educate other white people, to get white people on board to do anti-racist work, to involve white people online and off and um, give some breathing space, some rest space and some solidarity to people of colour who for so long have been abandoned by white people and have been fighting uh, for generation after generation doing uh, this work without the type of solidarity that we're seeing now. I feel that solidarity has to be real, meaningful. Oftentimes it might be misguided or, again, a consequence of our, you know, white privilege or white fucking cluelessness. What I hope is that we can all navigate the messiness and not shy away from the fact that this is, for some people, an uncomfortable conversation. Um... So that's what I feel. So I feel like to sum up, we can say that use your voice. Don't be afraid to make mistakes, but try not to make them. Uh, Listen, learn to the voices that need to be amplified and amplify the voices. And it's not a competition to see who is the most woke. And now we're going to have a chat about the impact of uh, the protests that have been emerging in Ireland with Amanda Adey. So joining us now is Amanda Ade. She's the presenter of the excellent Boxed Out podcast. Um, She was one of many people who spoke at the recent Black Lives Matter March in Dublin. Um, Has also been speaking on various platforms, other podcasts in the media and also online on on her own socials. And we just feel she's a really important voice in this moment. Hello, Amanda. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. Um, I want uh, you to take us back to the moment when you first arrived at the protest on Monday in Dublin, uh, which kind of began on O'Connell Street and maybe first saw the number of people who were gathering there, uh, which I think it's fair to say that most people did not expect uh, people to be in such huge numbers gathering, um, Mm. which was amazing to see. What did that feel like for you? Yeah, so I actually arrived um, probably about an hour and a half earlier. Um, So um, initially I'd seen a few people with like posters and stuff um, and signs. So I was like, okay, people are actually, you know, coming to this. Um, And then probably about like half an hour to 40 minutes later, um, more people started arriving. And then at that stage, I was thinking like, okay, this is probably going to be it. Like there's not going to be much more than this. And then literally within like another 30 minutes, like everywhere was just packed and like more people just kept coming and as they kept coming I was just like um just blown away really um just considering everything that had been said um online prior to that I didn't really um realize like how many people were in support and how many people you know were actually willing to to step out and do it because it's one thing to talk about stuff online but it's another thing to actually you know 
um, come out and show your support and actually like come stand in solidarity with people and really push for that change. So it was just really refreshing to see. And it just kind of gave me like a new perspective on everything and kind of gave me like a, a fresh hope almost for the future of Ireland. And I feel like people are really hungry now and um, more than they've ever been before, like hungry for change, hungry for something different. And mm. it was just really good to see. It was really, really good to see. Like it's very, it's very inspiring actually. You mentioned what is that? Oh, sorry, Andre, go on. Uh, you mentioned there that difference between online posting and then actually standing in solidarity. But how do you feel about the act, the huge level of online discussions that's emerged in Ireland this week around racial injustice and anti-racist awareness? Oh, it's so great to see. It is so great to see because I feel like before all of this kind of blew up, a lot of people um, might have been unaware of a lot of the issues and just that awareness around it now is. Um, it's kind of like opening more people up and making more people comfortable having those decisions. I mean, those discussions, because like um, thinking back, like it's been, it's always been a topic, like race has always been um, like a topic that people kind of tiptoed around and nobody really knew how to address it in case of offending somebody. So um, I feel like people are definitely becoming a lot more comfortable talking about race and about um, just issues surrounding race and it's it's really good to see it's really good to see and i feel like a lot of people are just becoming more open to the idea that like just because um ireland isn't necessarily a quote-unquote racist country as you would like um consider like america or the uk to be doesn't mean that racism doesn't like exist here and i think people are actually becoming more aware of that and realizing that that is the reality for a lot of people of color in ireland and that even just that racism exists in different forms um, I think people are really just becoming a lot more aware of that and just learning, I think, has been the main thing over like the past couple of days, people posting. I think everyone's really in a stage of like learning, wanting to learn and just wanting to be more open um, to mm. the discussion. You said there as well that people were afraid to, they didn't know what to say and people are learning and tr trying their best to do the right thing. And like pe people are making mistakes. How do you feel about when people make mistakes when they're trying, I suppose? Mm. I think it, it's normal. Like as, as long as, as long as someone is saying something um, out of a place of genuine curiosity, I think, and not like trying to be um, malicious in any way, um, I feel like it's always going to like be received and it, and someone's always going to want to um, offer an explanation. So I think it's good that people are becoming more curious about it. Um, I can definitely understand, though, how it would be a, like a touchy subject. It would be um, just because it's never been really talked about. And even like especially here in Ireland, considering how like new everything is, because really on a large scale, there wasn't like mass immigration into Ireland until the late 90s. So. Um, this is technically like for black Irish, especially like we are the first generation of, of black Irish people. So it's still, it's, it, we're still learning. We're still, you know, integrating into the Irish society. So it's still the beginning of things. And I feel like it's just a start of, of these conversations. So it's, 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 it's expected. It's expected. I feel, I feel like people shouldn't be like, you shouldn't be like holding back or, um, worried about stepping on people's toes. If it's like, if you're genuinely curious, if you're genuinely wanting to know, and um, just go for it. Just like there's resources out there, learn and ask questions. That's the only way to actually, you know, become knowledgeable about a topic. So, mm, and maybe like learn and read and educate yourself oh, before yeah. you randomly start at, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> posting or whatever as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I want to go back to something that you said about like uh, how the the protest gave you a new perspective, because for me, from the outside as a white person, what I was seeing at the protest was what I felt was maybe the first like large scale mobilization and visibility of um, black people in Ireland and also um, people of colour in Ireland from a kind of a youth perspective, like I've never seen that kind of coalescence of of people, of mostly young people mm. uh, articulating um, solidarity, articulating positions of their own identity and a desire to be seen and visible. Like, am I kind of imposing a narrative on that from the outside or what do you think about that? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say like you're you're on the right path there you're re- you are on the right path um i feel like for for a long time um solely because like a lot of us that were born here or have grown up here from young are only coming into the age now of like even um coming to terms with the fact that that we are black because coming into ireland or even being born here um when you're not like and you don't have like irish heritage or when you have a different skin tone or like when there's a, when there's like a visible difference about you and um, a lot of the time growing up your irishness for lack of a better word is always questioned and as much as um i want to say like i am south african i am also like just as much irish and um a lot of like i grew up here this is the only place that i even have any memory of as ever calling home um so like for for yourself growing up you consider yourself irish um, but then it's always being questioned by everyone around you because you don't necessarily look what an Irish look like an, what an Irish person should look like. Um, mm. So a lot of us are, it's just been a, like a really, really tough journey of just finding that identity and being comfortable with the fact that, okay, I can be black and I can be Irish all at the same time and that can coexist. And I think that's just something that has been really over the past year or two um, really been being pushed and I think people are finally just coming into into the space of being comfortable in that now Um, and that's why a lot of them are being comfortable like talking about it. Mm. One of the things I hear from people of colour a lot is how irritating it is to be asked for instruction from white people. Um, How important do you think it is for a balance to occur where white people listen and learn without kind of interrupting and asking about how to do anti-racist anti-racist work but also don't lean on or rely on people of colour to like handhold and basically do that work for white people Mm, I I agree I agree I definitely think that like there's some questions that Google has the answers to like you don't need to go and (laughs) and ask someone someone that like there's lots of resources out there there's loads of posts there's videos there's books there's podcasts like there's so much information being pushed out there and there's so much information available um so i think it's like after after people have done that and if there's still questions if there's still something that they're tr- they're like finding it difficult to wrap their minds around then i think go ask um but um yeah i definitely agree and I, it does get annoying it does get a bit frustrating um especially because there'd be 10 people asking you the same question and yeah. you, you get tired of saying the same thing over and over again um so I, I think that's just where it is because I feel people don't realize that, okay, um, someone has probably asked this person the same question within the last, you know, five, 10 minutes. So um, 
I, I don't think it's it's not probably it's not an intentional thing, but but it, it is true. I would say I would definitely say like use whatever resources are out there. Um do what you can first before um, you know, resulting to to asking someone a question. Or if there's just a topic that like they, maybe there's not so much information about, then maybe you go ask a question. But definitely, you know, search first and see what's out there. One of the other issues that I see in media, and I think that this isn't just an issue of race, it can be an issue of anything around any people who are perceived to be or are completely um, oppressed or marginalised, is the commodification of pain and the desire for people who don't experience that kind of pain or trauma to hear about it. Um, I, I often find it very, like... It kind of, even though it's a completely different thing, and I'm obviously not equating sexuality with race at all, but in my experience as a gay person, like when discourse was starting around, um, you know, anti-homophobia or whatever, like every time you're asked to talk about it, it's like, you know, tell me about abuse, homophobic abuse that you got. Tell me about like a, an incident where you were attacked. Tell me, or what was it like coming out? Like, tell me that. And it, it feels like such an invasion of privacy. Mm. How can people in media... Um, learn or or just have the tools to understand that discussing like discussing these things has personal fucking boundaries for people where yeah. you're not obligated to relive or anecdote something that is so systemic and often very upsetting mm. see it's kind of it's difficult to find to find a balance there because um, particularly on on the topic of like Okay, I, I won't just like kind of pigeonhole it to, to race, um, but just like you mentioned, anyone that's kind of been marginalized. Um, here in Ireland in particular, a lot of, I won't, I won't even say a lot, but it just seems that, that there's a decent number of people out there that um, just even disagree completely that any racism exists whatsoever in Ireland. So mm. um, for those people, I feel like unless they hear, they hear these experiences and they're not going to believe that this is actually happening. So it's kind of difficult to have a, to strike the balance between, okay, how far is, is too far in sharing um, these stories that part of me feels like people need to know um, so that they can realize that this is actually a reality and this is actually happening. Um, But then I also, I also do agree that there should be boundaries and I feel like, um, like I, I don't know. Like it, it, it's, it's difficult. That's a difficult question. It's difficult. Um, there definitely should be boundaries, though. I definitely think that it shouldn't be a thing that should ever be forced on anyone, um, to share those experiences, um, and I don't know. Just knowing, like, just knowing when, like, there, when there, when there, kind of some, when there's some pushback, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and just, I don't know, I think it just depends on the person. Like if it depends, it depends on the person, just knowing when, you know, just to, to stop pushing and let that be a thing of like, if this person wants to come and share, if this person wants to open up and share this experience, then okay, leave that. They should, there should be space for that. Um, otherwise don't really, don't push it. Don't force that discussion to happen. Yeah, I was reading an article and it was, they were, it said that you should feel privileged that someone is comfortable enough to share this with you, but don't ever ask about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. How do you feel going forward about the future in Ireland in terms of inclusion and not, I suppose, just tolerance, which is such a weird thing 
like mm. people, but actual celebration and foregrounding of people of color? Um, in all honesty, like before before the protests, um, I was trying to remain hopeful, but it just it was kind of difficult. But seeing what happened there last Monday, um, like I said, it just kind of gave me a whole fresh perspective of everything. And it's almost like lit a fire in me to like kind of push that change a bit more. And I feel like um, people are a lot more open and a lot more willing to learn now so I am hopeful for the future I definitely think that this is just the, the beginning of the conversation like there's still so much work to be done and um I think time time will just tell um at the moment you can't really there, there, there is no telling if it's just um, a trend right now or if you know once everything kind of dies down and the new big news um comes to the forefront whether it'll be something like pushed back into the into people's minds but um and we'll see. I definitely am hopeful, though. I, I feel that there is a shift. There definitely is a shift in, in um, just like kind of the mindset of people right now. And I feel like things are changing and people do want change and people are just recognizing that, OK, this is actually an issue and this does need to be addressed. And um, I definitely think that things are changing and things are hopefully moving in the, in the right direction. And um, but we'll just see what with time, whether the passion, like, you know, for that change and to keep pushing that change, actually. Um, keep whether it remains or whether this is just a trend we'll see but we'll still ha- keep having these conversations I'm I, per, I for one anyway I'm going to try my best to keep pushing it and hopefully um, some change and some good will come out of it Great stuff more power to you Amanda thanks so much for, for joining us and you can listen to Amanda's podcast Boxed Out on Spotify and on other platforms we really appreciate your time today thanks a million Thank you so much So what can you do? There has been a huge amount of consciousness rising done online this week. So don't let it be a moment. Make sure that you're consistent and ongoing with your awareness driving and whatever you do to keep that going. Uh, be cognizant of your international versus local goals and joining the dots. So whilst there's a lot going on across the seas, uh, the importance of doing the work in your own community uh, versus being just a viewer and consumer of activism elsewhere, what can you do that is affecting the people in your locality, in your county, in your country, right around you? Um, Have some conversations. with everyone you meet. Call out racist dodgy remarks. If it's a past remarkable taxi driver, if it's your family, if it's when you're getting your hair done, um, whatever it is, call it out and don't just let it slide because it's easier to do so. Uh, speak to your friends and family in depth. Sit down and decide to have a conversation about what's going on. Um, and buy and recommend books. There's a wealth of lists out there of books that you should be reading. Don't buy them from Amazon. Thank you very much. Uh, some suggestions to start with would be why fragility, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race and between the world and me. You can watch some documentaries. Uh, you can watch This Land by Zatello O. Bobby Mithambiani. Uh, there is I Am Not Your Negro by James Baldwin. The 13th is on Netflix and as is American Sun. Sea View is a documentary on direct provision by Still Films on Vimeo. Um, you can 
identify anti-racist organizations, groups and campaigns in Ireland and support them through social media, sharing their messaging, donating to them, signing their uh, petitions. You have Maasai, Merge and Black Pride, which you could start with. Uh, Communicate effectively online. Uh, Listen to what you're be what's been asked of you it's remember it's not a competition there's no point being the wokest person ever on instagram but new, doing nothing in real life um and the importance of non-optical allyship is not to be forgotten commit to participating in the end of direct provision direct provision is a prison by another name it needs to stop we know it's wrong Join in, make the change, be part of the movement. Uh, we're going to put a bunch of resources, reading, watching, etc., on our Patreon page that you can revert to. Um, and yeah, we'll put the Vogue article up as well. So, yeah. And now for our fave bits. My fave bits this week, uh, The Positive Space is a crowdfunding campaign by uh, the photographer Naomi Gaffey, the stylist Karina Gaffey, and um, I don't know why I'm pronouncing their surnames really weird there because I know them for a long time. Naomi Gaffey and Karina Gaffey and Anthony Remedy. And basically what they're doing is, I don't know if you've noticed uh, around Dublin in particular, all of the concert advertising posters, et cetera, are all blank, obviously. So they're basically do, trying to turn um, all of those spaces into a citywide photo exhibition. So uh, if you go to gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash the dash positive dash space, you'll be able to check that out or you can search for the positive space on Instagram or Twitter. Um, it like if it comes to pass, it'll be when it comes to pass, it'll be really great vibe. Um, very much into outdoor art and using spaces that are now blank for something very nice and creative. The Fringe program is being reimagined. Check that out. That's the Dublin Fringe Festival. And also I've really been enjoying the Rabbit Hole podcast, which is a New York Times podcast that kind of looks at radicalization paths for people on YouTube um, and just how the internet forms and distorts our opinions. Uh, Well worth checking that out. What are your fave bits, Andrea? I have no fave bits because I have existed solely in uh, a world of moving house and it is the pits. But my fave bit is my sister who has played a storm. I looked out in the sister world. She's literally moved me out of my home to my mother's with all my stuff. So shout out to Michelle. She's a boss. And yeah, that's my only fave bit. Crap culture. Andrea, we call me this week. No, you know the deal by now though, Andrea. What is it? I keep your distance. Like I've been out this week and it feels like Corona is a thing of the past in people's minds. Uh, so back off, keep your distance, keep washing your hands, keep your sneezes contained, put your mask on in a supermarket. Um, we want to keep these phases moving along. So don't get complacent. So yeah, do the play the play by the rules. <laughs> That's it. Wow. And, and this week's tuna chicken roll hit me. Oh my God. Such a banger. Banger from last summer. It is a real summery song, um, but it's a bop. It is Soleil and Troublemaker. I've been Una. I've been Andrea. That was Ireland is Racist. Deal with it. And we are. 
United Ireland. United Ireland. Nearly one of these days. You tell me that you love me. You tell me that you need me. You promise you gonna be real. But those were lies, those were lies. You thought I'd never find out about the dirt you're doing. The streets are always talking. But where to hide, where to hide. Don't you think that I'd never find out about the things you do when you're outside? Queen boy, you've just lost a dime It's not right what you do It's not right what you do Troublemaker It's not right what you do It's not right what you do Troublemaker All these lies that you choose All these lies that you choose Troublemaker It's not right what you do It's not right what you do Troublemaker All these lies that you choose It's not right what you do you love me that you're never ever gonna leave my side you treat me good and show me love you're never ever gonna put me down but it's not right what you do you're treating me wrong boy that ain't cool it's not right what you do you're putting me down boy that ain't cool no don't you think that i'd never find out about the things you do when you're outside Queen boy, you've just lost a dime. It's not right what you do. It's not right what you do. Troublemaker. It's not right what you do. It's not right what you do. Troublemaker. All these lies that you choose. All these lies that you choose. Troublemaker. It's not right what you do. It's not right what you do. Troublemaker. All these lies that you choose. It's not right what you do. You did it again, yeah. You did it again, yeah.